0: Matthew chapter 5, we will be picking up in the middle of that chapter. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Thou, Father, these strong, strong words from the lips of the Son of God, Jesus our Lord. We want to be all ears, Lord. We want to have ears that can truly hear what your Spirit is saying. These are life-changing words. These are words that we all struggle with, God. They're intense. Uh, they're jaw-dropping. They're very shocking, God. Coming from Jesus, meek and mild, so-called by God. Wow. Let your word go straight down deep into our heart of hearts, where you could do some transforming, some comforting, some instruction, and some changing. Transform us, God. Make us more like you. In Christ's name, Amen. amen. On our little bike trip last summer, this summer as well, uh, we were in Santa Monica, the land of cool cars. And so there was one parked out in front of our coffee shop one morning. And I was marveling uh, because it was so beautiful. I've got a a picture uh, of it on the road. We didn't take that picture, obviously. Uh, But, you know, right away, Spencer, who knows a little bit about everything, you know, he's like a McLaren 720S. Zero to 60, under three seconds. I was like, wow, that is I was imagining zero to 60 under three seconds. You know what that would feel like. Wow. Very fast indeed. And now a short time later, I came across an article about the space shuttle. And here's a nice picture. That's 7.8 million pounds of thrust lifting that vehicle so that in 45 seconds it will break The sound barrier of 767 miles per hour, reaching 17,500 miles per hour to obtain orbit. That's fast. (laughs) The McLaren, that's a joke. And isn't that how it goes? It's kind of helpful to kind of get our perspective on things by comparing and contrasting. I've got another example, a a hot iron, all right? You look at that steam. That steam alone will cause second and third degrees. It is so hot. You know what I'm saying. But, you know, you want to talk hot? I'll show you hot. 27... 1000000 Million degrees. That's hot. You know what the iron is? It's freezing cold <laughs> compared to this. So, if you want a definition of hot, you can talk about the core of the sun because that's the true definition of hot. Now, Thank you for that. Now, uh, some of you may have figured out where this is going. Uh, The Bible uses this kind of thinking, this kind of contrasting to help us understand our sinful condition and our desperate need of a savior because we think that we are good enough. So he has to help us not compare down like the McLaren to a Volkswagen Bug, (laughs) then you would say, wow, the McLaren is fast. But if you compare up, then you would say, well, it's not fast at all. And so the Bible likes to compare your basically good guy who basically, you know, he's (laughs) mild-mannered, in his disposition, when things are good. (laughs) He's law-abiding, mostly not on the freeway so much, but you know, (laughs) he pays the majority of his taxes practically all the time, and he tells the truth, uh, the majority of the truth. Most of the time, he's certainly not, let's compare down, he's certainly not a serial killer, a violent thug, or a bank robber, no. Oh, do you see? He's good based on comparing down. God says, let's compare up to the God-man, who is good, God is good, poured into a human body who's the incarnation of perfect purity, perfect love, perfect grace, perfect holiness in a man, the God man, Christ Jesus. And when you know that Christ was like us, made like us in every way except for sin, he never sinned according to the Bible, that every thought, word, and deed 24 7 was... (laughs) perfect goodness, well then, if we compare ourselves to God's standard, God's measurement, then we'll have to say, along with these other examples, that the car is not really fast and the iron's not really hot and we are not really very good at all. And so, if the standard is the God-man, and it is interesting, before we dive into the text, interesting, curious statement when Jesus is on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. He's on Mount Hermon, and he decides to give his disciples, three of them at least, a little foretaste of the glory that, would, that is his and that was coming again. And he went into this transformation, this shining of his true identity. It's called the transfiguration. And here's the curious thing that is said about that. Jesus' clothes, Mark says, Jesus' clothes were white. They changed to white. Whiter than anyone in the world could ever Bleach them. Let me repeat that for you. Jesus' clothes became white, a kind of white that no one in the whole world could ever bleach them. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm going to try to explain to you a white that the world, in all its effort to make white, can never do. It was a white that, a heavenly white that makes an earthly white look dirty, dull, Dingy and defiled. This is the whole effort of Jesus in this section of the Sermon of the Mount. And why? Out of love, he's saying to the complacent, to the self-righteous, to the people who think, I don't need grace, I don't need a savior to die for me. I'm pretty good. I'm a basically good person. I'm white. I'm okay. I'm clean. He has to come at it with a vengeance, out of love to say, I want you to run to me, to have life. Because next to me and what heaven requires, you're not very good at all. In fact, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so to do that, Jesus is bringing out the commandments and saying, hey, I know technically on paper you think you're okay if you didn't physically commit the deed like of murder. And we saw that last week. He said, but the seed of murder, is it in your heart? which is anger and hate and, and wishing uh, ill will toward people and hurting people with your mouth. Are you showing in your heart that you are capable of murder? He says, well, the the inward desire that is manifest outwardly is one in the same. They're both Sins. They're both related to each other. And he wants us to just take a dig, deeper look at these commands. He just wants us to uh, compare up. That's what he wants. So, are you ready for this? Because he, he out of love, he's going to say, This is an important commandment. And everybody thinks, Well, technically, check. And he says, I want you to think a little bit. Deeper. So here we go to some very, shall I say, infamous words. The text reads this way. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's already committed adultery with her in the privacy of his own heart. If your right eye, your strong eye, causes you to sin, gouge it. Oh, man, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if it's your right hand that's causing you to sin, cut it off, man. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, there are... Total six of these commands, and that we are really going to stop here and consider this one without going any further because there's quite enough to talk about right here on the screen. Amen. So we'll park here. You know, there was my first um, reflection is wow, um, this is nothing like the gospel. That is on social media, that's the hip and cool gospel at mega churches. You don't hear this kind of thing. And uh, I was on a plane recently, and somebody was objecting to all these Christian truths that I was sharing. And he said to me, You know, I just stick with Jesus and what Jesus said. They don't know what Jesus said. And what the only thing that they do know is the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman and how he was kind and merciful to her and said, you know, whoever's without sin, be the first to condemn her, neither do I condemn you. Uh, they always leave out, go your way and leave your life of sin. But see, that's the only story they really know. And they think that's where it stops. Well, actually, no. This is the gospel according to Jesus. So let's walk through these jaw-dropping words and expand our understanding, really, as I said, uh, that he's taking this approach. He wants us to understand that the visible and punishable act of the forbidden thing is only the outward expression of the inward desire that's liable to the same judgment as the physical act, something new for them all to consider for sure. And so uh, we'll be reminded that sin is very dangerous and that it evokes from Jesus very graphic and intense imagery That we will talk about. And maybe a chance to just start thinking less casually about sin. He doesn't mention lust in that sin. He says, if what causes you to sin. So he's he's wanting to say, fill in the blank there. Pick the sin that's besetting to you. Uh, Besetting means to be a persistent threat. That just kind of is for whatever reason, well-suited to your disposition and kind of grabs you by the scruff of the neck. He says, fill in the blank, but I want you to take a new approach, Uh, one of zero tolerance, because uh, there's a lot at stake. And Jesus says, hell or heaven is at stake in some of these concerns. And then I want to close out with a story, maybe you've heard it, of a young man who uh, got caught up in the trap of adultery and it went viral. And so I want to tell his story and kind of pause along the way and kind of glean for insights of how to stay ourselves, vulnerable as we all are in a world that has made sensuality a god. And I don't need to tell you how permeated this entire world from social media to your phone to billboards to you can't even go buy a tire today without being defiled in some way and so i'm telling you the truth i mean it comes at you from every angle and so that's good that we just kind of hang out here uh, washed in the blood of jesus and so grateful for for communion sunday to have fallen uh, coincidentally in quotes on a day when we most want to partake, amen? And so we're ready to dive in now for sure. I want to close with that story, and then we'll take communion. Let's dive in here now. So when he says, you've heard that it was said, he's saying, we've been reciting the commands, this one, the seventh commandment, Uh, for 1,500 years. So we all all know what the commandment says. That's what he's saying there. And he's quoting Exodus 20, verse 14, from the Old Testament. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We get it. (laughs) And then maybe the crowd is saying, "Uh uh-oh, we know where this is going, (laughs) right? Because he just said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder in the previous verses. But then he talks about how the seed of murder of hate is really uh, a breach of the spirit of the command, therefore liable to judgment. And so now they're putting together a pattern, and they're like, okay, you've heard it said, you know, hey, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then everybody who's never technically committed adultery says, phew, which is most people. Phew, check that box. And he goes, hold on. Before you check the box off, let me put it to you this way because included in any command is not just the prohibition against the behavior. Included in the command is the prohibition against the evil desire that leads to the evil physical act. And so no, Mr. and Mrs., I'm basically a good person. Uh, and no to the person who says technically I have not Cheated on my spouse. Have you really not ever cheated? How sad. How sad to live 40 or 50 years not committing adultery outwardly, but every day committing adultery in the privacy of one's heart. And you do know that the secrets of our lives will be exposed on that day. In our case, they're covered over, yet we will uh, either be rewarded or, or lack of reward over them. But yeah, the secrets of the hearts are fair game to the one who knows the secret of the hearts, who made the secret of the hearts. He says, what's going on here and here is fair game for judgment. And so that's a new way of thinking. (laughs) They're all, you know, the Pharisees were all about making life, and this is why you call them hypocrites, because the word means to wear a mask, making life and putting all your efforts into how people perceive you. That's the important thing, is to be technically on paper clean. And he says that integrity is what you are when no one's looking in the dark in your mind and in your heart. And that's why we all need Jesus and we all run to the cross. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so that's how God will judge. Not on paper, not outwardly, but he will look inside of our hearts. And so... And why? Out of love, you know, he wants people to be terrified by this and to run to him. I mean, if, if you're a dad, you're a mom, and your kid wants to go out and run into the freeway or play by some uh, rattlesnakes hole there, are you going to be excited and, and, and say absolutely, 100% no, and talk in these kinds of terms whenever you hear Jesus speaking? Harshly, it's out of this love to come to me to be safe, not to kill your joy, but to complete your joy, that your joy may be full, he says. And so he says to look at a woman with lust. Let's talk about what he means. The long, Long before any physical thing manifests, he says when you engage the desire... Uh, you breach the spirit of the commandment. What's Jesus saying the way you look with lust? Well, the word look there is interesting. It does have the nuance of a stronger look to direct the mind to a thing, to fasten one's thoughts upon or to fix your gaze. And so in other words, it's not an involuntary, momentary, fleeting kind of thing, a feeling that comes out of nowhere. You know the saying is, you can't stop the bird from flying over. But he's going to say, you will need to stop it from building a nest. And once you let it nest, and you're like, hey, you, you forgot this piece of string here. You know, you're helping the bird to build the nest. You're making room. You're accommodating it. You kind of like that it's building the nest there. He says, you've sinned. You're doing the deed. It's not fully manifest. out Technically, that's another sin. But you've already broken the spirit. Of it. But he is saying it's not a mere notice of attractiveness, which is quite natural to all of us. He says it's that next step that most of us don't need any explaining. We know when we've crossed the line. Uh, I like the story about a uh, husband and wife who are shopping in the mall, and this wife is looking at dresses furiously. The husband's standing there bored out of his mind. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. You know, <laughs> And so she's just going sh- 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 shopping. You know, guys, you know, we're like, we go in, we hunt. You know, we know what we want. We see it. Boom. We grab it. We, we, we've gathered it unto ourselves and get out and take it home and enjoy it. And ladies, it's just, it's not about the hunt. It's really about the whole process, you know? I'm not looking. So she's looking away. He's bored. And behind them, they hear click, 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 click. High heels clicking by, just kind of strolling. And so he's kind of turning. And look, it's a beautiful woman. A beautiful woman passes by, click. Click, click, sauntering to and fro past the rack. And the wife doesn't seem to notice, or so she doesn't appear to notice that he's turning and observing, right? And after the clicking goes away and she disappears behind some rack of clothes, the wife looks up and says, I hope that was worth it. (laughs) Wives don't miss a thing. They're very, I mean, they're like the Holy Spirit in some regards. <laughs> they just know stuff, you know. So he's, he's not talking about whoops, what was, oh whoa, whoa. You know, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something that grab, gra, grips onto you, and you grip onto it too. You accommodate. You indulge it. You nurture it with the intention to go after, to put it into drive, and to move forward with what God specifically forbids. Instead of casting it aside or executing it as the New Testament says, oh, you welcome it. and You're going to play this passive-aggressive thing or just kind of let it happen. He says, no, no, no. Now, to look with lust. The word for lust is epithumio. And it's a combination of two Greek words. It's a combination of fierce and to latch on. So now when Jesus puts the word to look with fixing your gaze upon that which you fiercely latch onto, now we're talking. Now we understand what he's talking about. To objectify another human being and put them on the level that their sole worth is to gratify your sinful desires. He calls that adultery of the heart. And um, this is what we're talking about. Now, I hear some people say, and some men in this regard say, it's not a sin to be tempted True, but let's define what being tempted is. Being tempted is actually not the desire, the evil desire that you're entertaining. That's a sin. Temptation is the enticement to do the thing. Do you see? So some guys are like, "Well, it's not a sin to be tempted." So they play around with the evil desire, let it hang out there, nurture it. Well, as long I'm okay, as long as they don't actually do it, no. That thing in you, that evil desire, that intention that you're going with, that you're nurturing, is itself um, a, a sin. And so, zero tolerance for wrong desire. Listen, this is easy. Desire embraced is a sin committed. We have to be careful about this. And so... Um, Adultery is the sin named there. Now, some of uh, people who want to justify themselves, it's like, well, I've never done this with somebody who's married, or I'm not married, or she's not married, and we're both not married, so we haven't committed the sin of adultery. Oh, hold on. The word on uh, adultery is an umbrella word to the Jews. To the Jews, they know what Jesus means. He means... Sexual immorality, specifically adultery, that involves the breaking of marriage bonds. But they know in their Jewish thinking that any sexual sin is first adultery to God because they've been betrothed to the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh. And so he often says, you adulterous people, when they breach covenant with him. And so the the understanding is that when I sin, that it is first adultery to God. And then it is, in a way, sexual immorality. And the word, the ugly word in King James is fornication from where we get the word, well, the Greek word is pornea, where we get the uglier word, Pornography comes from the word sexual immorality. Now, this is the word that's meant there. And what does it describe is any sexual relation that occurs outside of God's design. And here's God's design, and Jesus is the one who said this. In Matthew chapter 19, he says, the creator made a man and he made a woman. He says this. And then he says, for, the, for that purpose, because he made them men and women, he joined them together that the two shall become one. And this is God's design for sexual intimacy. Any sexual relations outside of God's design, whether, however it is, two people living together, they're not married, they're saying they're engaged and all of that. God just says, if you are engaging in a relationship outside of marriage in its plethora of forms that is considered sexual immorality, we can call it fornication, you could call it pornea, you can call it adultery. You're saying the same thing, you have sinned sexually. And so this is what he's saying, and notice now these infamous words as we move forward in the text. He says, zero tolerance for this kind of sin because multitudes and multitudes of people have been prevented from coming to Jesus because of their grand love of this kind of sin. It keeps them out of heaven. Proverbs says it is the sin that has slain, spiritually speaking, more people than any other sin combined. Paul the apostle says it's the worst kind of sin, sexual sin. Some people like to say sin is sin. I get what you're saying, but that's not the Bible's take. There are some sins that are worse than others, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and Uh, And uh, somewhere around uh, 9 through 11 says, this sin is worse than others. This is God's word speaking. So notice, uh, before we dive into what exactly it's saying here, he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to go sit in a circle, get a book that talks all about sex, and all your problems, and everybody take turns talking about your sexual problems and then close in prayer. (laughs) I don't see that in between one of the verses. Now, I think it's good for guys to get together, pray for each other, and talk about their problems. But that's not the first thing Jesus says. Uh, how about you go to a therapist and they're going to give you some ways to think about it, ways to feel, you know, somewhat better about yourself, but ways to deal with it. I don't see that in the text. Here's what I see. He's saying, take no captives, no holds barred approach, Spare no expense, make every sacrifice, go to whatever length possible, take no prisoner's approach. This is serious. Do what you must do. And so, when someone will come to me and say, the problem is in my office, I say, well, change positions in the company. Oh, uh, you don't know how, how, that. Change positions in the company. Get a transfer. Oh, that would be so extreme. Taking a meat cleaver and cutting off your hand. How about gouging out your eye? Which is more extreme? I'd rather go get a new job. <laughs> well, the problem is my phone. What if you got a dumb phone <laughs> instead of a smartphone? <laughs> That's not so smart after all. The problem is every time I go to the gym, cancel the gym membership. Oh, oh, health and all all of this. Jesus is saying, could you? No, no, I got away. Because Jesus knows something that we don't know, how serious the wages of sin is, where it can take you, the damage it'll do to your little kids to your wife, to your husband, to your career, to your good reputation that you'll never get back. He knows. And then if you're an unbeliever and you've never repented, he knows where this will take you. Straight to a place that Jesus, the Son of God, meek and mild, or so-called, says calls hell. So he's going to say, And here's a paraphrase. No matter how cherished or useful or near or dear to you, the thing that causes you to sin is take drastic, extreme, decisive efforts to annihilate it, obliterate it from your life. Wouldn't you rather suffer the loss of your sin than suffer the loss of your soul? That's what he's saying. Yeah, there'll be inconvenience, cost, some discipline involved, some sacrifice, yeah. When we pick up our cross and we say no to our sinful selves and follow Christ, this is part of the package. But you, you got to mean it. And the way you'll mean it is if you truly have God's perspective on the hideousness of it, the potential to ruin you, to poison you, you you must guard your heart because above all things it's the wellspring from which your entire life flows. So if your heart is polluted, your whole life will be polluted. Therefore, Jesus says, "Are you kidding me? Get crazy about this thing? Is he talking literally?" Uh, somebody asked me, "What? No, this is called hyperbole. It's a, it's a rhetoric. It's exaggerated." I told the person who asked me that, I said, unfortunately, you could poke both your eyes out, cut both your hands off, cut your legs off too, and you could go further, and it wouldn't solve the problem, because the problem's not in the body parts, it's in your heart, it's called a sinful nature. God draws a line in the sand and says, Thou shalt, and the first thing that nature wants to do is just kind of get close to it and step the toe over a little bit because we were told, Thou shalt not, and we say, Well, really? I shalt. And he says, Then you shall die a thousand deaths. My people don't do it. And so, yeah... Move out, break it off, get new friends. This is what he's talking about. Would it be so bad to cut the cable off? People aren't even willing to cut the cable, let alone do what Jesus is saying. Oh, that's too extreme. Oh, when you see him... When he lights up the sky and the angels are there, and then it's time for your turn to step up and let's talk about your life, inner and outer. Oh, you'll be so glad that you followed his advice, drastic as it is. You'll need the courage to do that. And he says a heavenly perspective might help you to do that. Now, I promised you the viral story about the young man who got caught up in this trap, and it's a great story for teaching, and boy, did it ever go viral. It was caught up in Proverbs chapter seven. That's viral. Do you know how many people have read and learned from the tragedy of somebody else? And I don't know about you, but I would rather learn from someone else's mistakes than my own. And so this kid, this young man, he gets caught up in the spider web of sexual temptation and immorality and adultery, and we get to kind of dissect it. I would call this last point then an anatomy of adultery. And so let's let the Holy Spirit give us some insights to what to do and not to regarding this terrible sin. Solomon is writing a letter to his boys. It's called the book of Proverbs. My sons. He's raising up future kings, and he says, here's some wisdom. What is it, 31 chapters of wisdom. And chapter 7 goes to looking out for the sin of adultery. So he tells his boys a story He says there, starting in verse 6. I've condensed it a little. It's on the screen for you just for time. At the window of my house in the palace there in Jerusalem, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple-minded, it means foolish, I noticed among the young men, some young man who stood out, he has no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, no less, as the day's fading, as the dark of night sets in. Now, you know, we don't need to just be talking about adultery because the same kinds of allurements to sin happen in so many different ways. And so that's why I really like going through this story. Let's start with the trap is set. The trap is set. And who is setting the trap. Well, among others, it's his own hand. Oh, what a sting. We've met the enemy, and it turns out to be us, you know? He's complicit in his own desire. Dude, what are you doing walking in her direction? Somehow he knows where she lives. Oh, they met at the gym, or they bumped into each other at Costco, and there was a little flirtation, you know, or a friend of a friend. But he knows, and she said something. She gave a little hint, and he remembered. And instead of focusing on the things that are good and true and pure and worthy of praise, he started to play the tape over and over again. And now he's on the street. Now, is he fleeing from lust? He's walking toward it. Is he praying God? Father, lead me not in temptation. No, he's being led willingly by his biology and his sinfulness. So, you know, the word simple means open-minded which means he has no discipline. There's no anchor. There's no boundaries. There's no barriers. He's completely open. So whatever pops up, whatever emotion, he's he's got nothing there to guide him because he's so open. It's like, oh, well, yeah. You know, I'll go down and see what's going on down in her neighborhood nothing like setting yourself up for failure and I just wonder how many of us do that we know we have a problem with X, Y, and Z and then instead of putting distance between us and the thing we bring, na- we, we bring a narrowness we narrow it and we, we flirt around with it and this is what he's going to do and he's going to lose young people who go dating they're 20 years old they're Christians they know better And then they go parking on top of a beautiful hill that overlooks the whole place, and they're playing music, and it's 11, 12 o'clock, 1 in the morning. What did you think was going to happen? You going to have a Bible study up there? (laughs) You might have told yourself that as you were driving up there, but suddenly something changed. Yeah, oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. That's the sting for sure. Why is he on the road? What's he? He's, you're going to justify because he knows what he's doing. But, he you know, why is he on the road? Oh, did they have a little lover's spat? You know, did something go wrong at home? Maybe he's feeling like he's not getting his needs met and he's having a pity party, so I'm just going to put myself on the street. I don't do anything yet, but I am walking in the direction. He's frustrated. He, you know, something, here's, here's the one. Oh, something hurt him. And life turned right when he wanted to go left and now he's just going to throw caution to the wind and I'm going to live carelessly, and I'm going to make myself feel good. God now here's the logic here you're already struggling what sense is it to go ahead and then put a hole in the side of your boat does that make sense the boat's already taken on water right you're already in trouble and so you're going to go out and I know what I should do I'm going to fire a torpedo at myself oh come on people that's one of the favorites too you know so i'm going to do something careless so no he's not fleeing he's running toward it here's the uh, and then we move on proverbs 14:8 says simple minded people give no thought to their ways simple people can't fast forward the tape fast forward the tape past the fling past the sin past the embezzlement past the lie just go forward And see the look on the face of your wife. You did what? With who? No. And see your kids visiting you every other week. Daddy, why do I can't live with you anymore? Because you're simple-minded. And you can't fast forward the tape to think about consequences beyond your own sinful gratification. All right. Let's move on. I think you're getting the point. I'm convicted. I don't know about you. Then she comes out to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, but not a prostitute. Oh, she's not in this for money. She's as guilty as he is. With crafty intent, at every corner she lurks, she takes hold of him and kisses him with a brazen face, so oh, hard hard. We're not doing anything wrong. She says, hey, I came out to meet you. Look, there, I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Stop. He should have figured it out right there because (laughs) myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon are embalming spices. (laughs) oh that's funny that's funny <laughs> yeah come to my bed it smells really good <laughs> come let's drink deeply and here's the lies of love till morning let's enjoy ourselves not once but twice with love you know? well she's not going to use the word fornication is she She's not gonna use the word pornea. No, she's not gonna say, Come, let's defile ourselves. Oh, no, no, no. She's gonna paint, <laughs> oh, the fragrance of the colors and get all the senses riled up and all of this. And so notice the adjectives crafty, uh, lurking, um, brazen. They're all associated with the devil on purpose because the devil is called the tempter. And so we don't wrestle so much with flesh and blood. It's not really her, but the power behind her who's working to do him harm. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And his favorite tool for his favorite simple-minded victims... Is lust, just pure hormones and prompt, and no mind to say, hey, wait a second, I run my life, not my feelings, not my hormones, and not what my friends in this world. Thinks. And so notice the deception and the flattery from the tempter. And she lays it on thick, as Satan always does. You know, exaggerated pictures of pleasure, the glitter always in the beginning. You know, he riles him up, you know, and it's all about love, you know. Not in my notes, I'm going to tell you. Um, Oh, 20 years ago, different church. Me and an associate pastor went on a call. The guy got caught in an adulterous affair. Three little babies. The wife called and said, You better come over. I came over with my associate. I have never been to a more terrorized situation in my life. My heart, when I think about it, I still, it's upsetting. That woman was out of her mind with grief. There were things thrown and rage and things flying in the air. The babies were crying in the corner. The husband, it was a nightmare. Oh, man. He lost his job. He lost her. He lost the kids. Oh, but the things they were saying, oh, I can't repeat them. And so I walked out, thinking about the glitter that he saw before. And I said to my associate, remind me never to commit adultery. That's a joke, because when you see that, that's the reality, that's the wages. Oh, but he doesn't do that. He says the blankets, the sheets, the pillowcases, and the fragrance, and it's all night long, and it's love, 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 right? And he does that with every sin. How else would you want to do it? He's got to kind of give you a little courage because you know it's wrong. You know there's danger, but like the Proverbs say, that the fool senses danger but keeps on going and pays the price. So he's got to beef it up, and beef it up, he does. And then, here we go. Oh, she butters him up with uh, you know, I've been looking for you, it's only you. Uh, I wish my husband was more like you. I wish my wife was more like you. All of this stuff, and she's just making stuff up because Satan knows he probably doesn't get it at home, get affection and attention at home, and maybe his wife does have problems. And maybe you are start for attention. So you could tell Jesus when he says, Why'd you commit adultery? Oh, well, well my wife was driving me out with the fiction. That's not gonna go over well, right? <laughs> so let's go on here. Now here's the last push. Because he's like, huh? Oh, hold on, they no, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. You know, and she goes, BAM. Oh, my husband's not at home, verse 19. He's gone on a long, long journey. He took his purse. That might be part of the problem. (laughs) He He should have taken his wallet. What? He's European, all right. He took his purse and filled with money and some other things and will not be home till full moon, which is Jewish for next month here's what she's doing you're not gonna get caught oh we got the house alone oh i know him he does this all the time i saw how much money he took that 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 means he'll be gone for months we'll cover it up it's one time nobody'll ever know nobody'll find out so come on this is with every sin You need a little push to defy your own sense of self-preservation that's left. Not much, but it's still in there saying, oh, no, really, come on. And then the truth comes. And now, you know, come on. Doesn't she watch movies? Doesn't he watch movies? Don't we know what happens here? The husband leaves, and he forgets something at home. The sunglasses his purse <laughs> <laughs> but no he remembered his purse and you know what's inside the purse he carries a weapon and when he comes back to that somebody ends up dead that's what Solomon's point is with persuasive words she led him astray she seduced him with smooth talk all at once there it is there's the sin boom bang he still could have gotten out of it Followed her like an ox to the slaughter you know an ox is just eating his food he doesn't know he's in line they're like hey we're going there we're going somewhere the ox gets in line mm, where are we going you know the ox doesn't know a thing in 10 seconds man it's gonna be all over for you but he goes straight in Unbeknownst to him, it's his last few chomps on the hay. Like a deer stepping into the noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. So that would have been nice to know. Right from the start, right on the street corner, this is a road that leads to death, right? A noose, a dart that goes through your liver. <laughs> a house chambers of death and that's what it is there's always the wages of death he says and so that's uh, giving some cause to our scenario here the wages of death and, and death it is now in that culture you know when she's got him now blackmail him oh she's got him if anybody finds out, he will be killed. It's capital offense. But the wages of sin involves just barrenness, emptiness, fear, and isolation, the, the death of your, your reputation, death of the little baby that's conceived in the womb because when two people have sexual relationships, That's what usually happens and can happen. And so there's death to babies. There's death to family. There's death to career. And how about the diseases that he just brought into his life that cannot be cured? So the Bible says, Jesus says, along with Solomon, final words, then we're done. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say, don't let your heart. So, so what Jesus is always implying is, is that we have choices. We can fix our mind on heaven or we can fix our mind on our sin. The Bible says, don't think about the ways to gratify your sinful nature. Don't let your heart turn to that way. It's the stray. Multitudes are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. This is why our Savior with a heart of love says, you must starve your sin. You must annihilate it. And the only way to do this is not called just cutting things out. It's cutting and filling always. For example, when he says, hey, stop getting drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? So it's cut this, get rid of that, chop, chop, right? And then fill and let that new life come up and push out the dead leaves. Because if you're just doing the cut, cut approach, oh, I got to stop, 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 you're missing the other part of the equation, which is fill, 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 Bible reading, memorization. Worshiping God, serving in the church. I'll tell you what, if he was out at Wednesday night service, or if he was out helping somebody move, or if he was out cooking dinner for the family, like most civilized people were doing at that hour, or studying for his calculus test, fix the rudder on the course and you will end up where the rudder is set. God says, set your rudder. Properly toward the things above and be blessed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you care about us, God. Thank you for you've given us a way. You've given us a way to, to escape our own natural sinful inclinations by the rebirth, the new birth, the new life, the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us do our part (laughs) to (laughs) chop-chop and to yield to your part to bring life (laughs) and a changed desires and the power to make a difference, to tell ourselves no and yes to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.